If God's the one who initiated the gift of salvation, you can't give it back to him. And if you truly believe the security of your eternal salvation, that should give you what today? Hope, it should give you hope today. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. From the moment of birth it began, we all have rebelled against God and become traitors against His divine will and kingdom. But through all of this, God has given us a way to be reconciled to Him. Today, David takes us to the book of 1 Peter in the first part of his message called, A Living Hope. We can't live one second without hope. We all need hope to continue to move forward in life. We're living in crazy times right now. And I want us to look at a book of the Bible that addresses a group of people called Christ followers living in a place of great malignment and maliciousness, yet called to hope. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So let's jump in. First Peter, one of my favorite books in all the New Testament. Who's the author? Who's the author of First Peter? Oh, you're brilliant, aren't you? Yes, Peter is, of course, the author of First Peter and Second Peter. Peter was one of the apostolic members. Uh, he was probably the spokesperson of the 12. Uh, he was a part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, who spent intimate times with Jesus like no other. Uh, interestingly, in Luke 22, 
during the Last Supper, the night before Jesus died on the cross, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. I've often asked the Lord not to let Satan sift me like wheat, but he has sometimes. And it's interesting, Jesus said, and I've granted it. Notice that Satan, the evil one, the enemy of your soul, is a creature. He's not the creator. God's the creator. Satan's on a leash. He can only do what Jesus permits him to do in your life. But then Jesus says to Peter, though, after you've gone through the trial, you're going to be restored, and then you're going to strengthen your brother's and sister's faith. So Peter ends up denying Jesus within 24 hours, not once, not twice, but three times. He feels like a total failure. But then in one of Jesus' resurrection appearances, he renews his commitment and love to Peter and forgives him not once, not twice, but three times. God's grace is always greater than all of our sin. And what we have in First and Second Peter is Peter strengthening our faith. He's doing the very thing through these letters that Jesus said he would do. So that's the author. The audience are the elect exiles. Who are they? They are Gentile and Jewish Christians living in a very decadent, pagan, godless Roman Empire. They are elect of God. We'll look at that in just a moment. But they're in exile. They're in the Roman Empire, but continually being maligned, marginalized, and persecuted because of their faith. And I am convinced that's going to happen more and more with committed Christians in our culture. I mean, just the biblical belief in sexual ethics is going to continue to marginalize Christians against the culture. Expect it. So Peter is writing this letter as a note of hope to people who follow Jesus living in the Roman Empire that is continually persecuting them because of their love for Jesus. And then Peter says in these opening verses that what he's calling people to do is to have hope because they've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection. Now, let's unpack that. A living hope. What's the opposite of a living hope? A dead hope. Dead hope is an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp. Doesn't exist, okay? There's no such thing as a dead hope. There's only one option, a living hope. And we're born again to that living hope. How someone born again? By the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Any of you who've hung around any numbers of weeks or months or years here know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is my passion. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. It's the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew, then to the Greek, Romans 1.16. By the preaching of the gospel, people's dead, stony, selfish hearts are birthed again into an alive heart that wants to follow Jesus. But what's the gospel? The word means good news. But you can't understand the good news unless you first understand the bad news. And the bad news is very bad. The bad news is we are at enmity with God. Even at the moment of conception, it begins. We have rebelled against God, have become traitors against his divine will and kingdom. We have done life on our own terms. We've shaken our fist against his will and rebelled against him. Our trajectory should be eternal death, eternal separation from God. We should spend eternity in hell. That's the bad news. 
The good news is, though, that God so loves us that he became one of us through Jesus. He lived the perfect life we could not live. He went and died on a cross, shedding his blood, the sprinkling of his blood that Peter talks about here in these verses. And his blood was shed instead of ours. We should have been under a capital death sentence from God because of our rebellion. We should have had to shed our blood and be eternally separated from God. But God so loved us, he took the death penalty upon himself. Jesus died for our sins, something he didn't deserve, and then gives us the gift of eternal life, the salvation from our sins, something we don't deserve. All by grace, through faith, not of our works. There's nothing meritorious within us that God finds pleasing at all. But then when we receive Jesus, we have the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at us, he does not see our muck or our junk. He sees the very perfection of Jesus. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And when it's rightly proclaimed in a powerful way, people's dead, stony hearts are born again. They're birthed to new life. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 3, unless you're born again, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. You must be born again. It's not an option. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have to be born again. People ask me, how do I know if I'm born again? Well, how do you know you've been born? Are you breathing? I hope so. Are you moving? I hope so. Those are evidences of your first birth. Well, there are evidences of the new spiritual birth, a desire for prayer, a love of God's word, a desire to serve others, a desire to give him all the glory and everything in your life, a crucifixion of all selfishness and pride, living in humility. All of those are evidences of being born again. And you must be born of the spirit. The humble Jesus living inside of you and conforming you to his image, making you more and more like him. And that's done through the power of the resurrection by the preaching of the gospel that lives in your heart. Romans 8, 11 says that the power that raised Jesus from the dead for those of us who believe now lives in us. Think about that. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside those who believe. They've been born again. And it produces then a living hope. It believes that the God who's outside of history, who sees everything in history, is one step ahead of what we know today and is working everything, everything together for his good. God wants to create hope in all of our hearts. In those of you who come today hopeless and despairing, God wants to give you a living hope to continue to face tomorrow. Now, how does Peter then unfold that living hope? He says you need to focus on the right doctrines of the faith. He gives us several here in these verses that we need to know about to create hope. God wants to give you hope today, and you get hope by believing in right doctrines of the faith. Well, here's the first one that Peter outlines. It is the doctrine of foreknowledge. Uh, what's foreknowledge? It simply means that God knew you by name before you ever knew him. In fact, the Bible says that from the foundations of the world, even before the world was ever created, he foreknew you by name. You're not an accident. You're not a surprise. You weren't created by primordial sludge. You are known by God, by name, before the world was ever created. And if you truly believe that, how many believe that today? That should give your heart hope. No matter what you're facing, the God who knew you before the world was ever created knows you now as you're facing your future. And he's giving you hope today that he loves you, knows you by name, and is in control of your life. 
Then second doctrine is the doctrine of election. These Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians were elect exiles. Now, the doctrine of election that God elected us and chose us always has people asking me, well, what about us choosing God? Isn't that in the Bible as well? It is. John 7, 39, for example, whosoever will choose me. I mean, that's there too. Well, how do you know you're one of the elect? Well, choose God. Choose God. If you choose God, you're one of the chosen, obviously. But here's what you need to know. Before you ever chose God, God chose you. Before you ever contemplated making a decision to follow Jesus, he had already made a decision for you to follow him. It's a mystery. I don't understand it, but let me tell you something. If you believe it, it should crank you to believe even more in Jesus. It should increase hope in your heart. Why? Because if he foreknew you and elected you before the foundations of the earth, that means he loves you and has everything in your life in his oversight. Everything. And on those days when you feel unworthy and you feel unloved, when you feel like you've screwed everything up and God couldn't possibly love you, what do you do? You go back to the doctrines of foreknowledge and election and say, but he's the one who knew my name before I ever knew him. He's the one who chose me before I ever chose him. Then it's all about God and not you and your mess. Let me give you an illustration. Most of you know I had the privilege of playing basketball at the University of North Carolina under Dean Smith. And I don't get it to this day why Coach Smith recruited me. I mean, when I was in high school, I was a good high school player, but I mean, I was so skinny. When I turned sideways and stuck out my tongue, I looked like a zipper. I mean, I, mean, I had to run around the shower to get wet. You know, you know, when I took a shower, I had to put the plug in the drain so I wouldn't go down the drain with the water. I mean, that's how skinny I was. I heard every skinny joke imaginable from everybody. Hey, bird chest, how you doing? Okay, got it. I didn't understand that Coach Smith saw something in me. And so one day, I got a letter from Dean Smith saying he'd heard about me and knew me by name. You see? But before I ever knew Coach Smith... He knew me. And then he started recruiting me. Came down to Florida and spent some time with my family and ultimately offered me, Bird Chess Chadwick, a four-year scholarship to play basketball at North Carolina. Now, before I ever chose North Carolina, Dean Smith had decided that he had chosen me. There are days, honestly, that I look at some of the names of people who played at North Carolina. <laughs> Larry Miller, Charlie Scott, I'm going way back, guys. Phil Ford, Michael Jordan, Eric Montross. And amidst the names on all those lists of lettermen that played at North Carolina is a scrawny kid out of Orlando, Florida named David Chadwick. And there are days I go, <laughs> why am I on that list? I don't deserve to be on that list. I'm not good enough to be on that list. I'm not worthy enough to be on that list. And right when those moments crash into my brain, I hear a voice that reminds me, doesn't matter what you think. The only person's opinion that matters is Dean Smith's. His is the only opinion that matters. And he knew your name before you did. And he chose you to be on his team, not you. So therefore, you should have a great hope in your heart 
because he's the one that initiated the relationship. On those days you feel unworthy, like a total scumbag, you've messed up everything, remember the doctrines of foreknowledge and election. God knew your name and he chose you before the foundations of the world. And that should give your heart what, folks? Hope. A little louder, please. That should give your heart. I want you to talk back at me some today, okay? That should give your hearts what? Hope. It should make you realize that the God of yesterday who knows you today has your future secure in him. The next doctrine is the doctrine of salvation by his blood, verses 2 and 5. Salvation, you know, in the South we live with people going all the time, hey, brother, are you saved? Hey, sister, are you saved? You ever thought about what you're saved from? Have you ever thought about that? We always tend to think we're saved to go to heaven. We're saved from hell. That should create such a sense of thanksgiving in your heart, you can't even begin to express it. He entered this world to save me from eternal separation from the Father. Wow. By his blood, should have been my blood shed. He saved me. Now, here's the deal. If God saved you once, he'll what? Save you again. If he did it once, he can do it again. So no matter what you're facing in life, if you believe in the doctrine of salvation by his blood and that God cares for you that much, you should have what? Hope in your hearts. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about today's moment of hope. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, uh, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomas Burrow and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up all the meals will shift to the dream center with the kitchen you helped us do so we're so grateful you guys god bless you god bless moments of hope and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry thank you very much
I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jen. Good being with you as well. Well, you titled this morning's Moment of Hope, Do Your Job, and I'm almost afraid to ask what this means. Uh, Well, it comes from a time when I was a seminarian and I was getting ready to graduate and take on my first church. And there was a pastor in the seminary area who was quite successful. And I went to him and I said to him, how could I really be a great pastor? And he said to me, without even flinching, do your job. (laughs) And it was just his way of saying, make sure you fulfill your calling and do what God has called you to do. And if you do that, you'll not only feel fulfilled, but you'll help the church be all that it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. My point here today, Jen, is I think everyone has a gift in the church. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says, and that everyone's called to use their gift in ministry in the church. And it could be as small as being an usher or greeter, or it could be as large as visiting people who are sick in the hospital. It's in accordance with what God has gifted you to do, but just make sure you do your job. Now, I've been a pastor for over 40 years now. One of my great concerns with the church today is we have created a church that is transactional in nature. Mm. The church puts on a big show with its lights and camera and all of its great messages, and people come and they feel good with what they've heard, they put their money in the offering plate and keep the machinery going. But no one is using their gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it's all a spectator sport. Mm. You're sitting, watching other people worship, other people preach, other people do everything, and then you leave and you think, well, I've been to church. Well, it's not been to church, it's you are the church. And how are you using your gift? So I think Jesus would say to all of us today, do your job. Find your gift. Use it in the local church. Don't just watch online. I get online. I know why it was formed, especially in COVID, but COVID's lessened now. We're not to forsake the gathering together of believers, Hebrews 10, 25. Jesus went to synagogue every week, as was his custom, according to the Bible. We need to be the church. We need to be involved in the church. So find your gift and do your job. I like this so much because what I'm I'm hearing is almost like the church is a safe place to be able to express the gift, to give your gift. And you can take that and then apply it also into your vocation or mm-hmm. into your home life or in your kid's school. And But I see the church as being this beautiful, safe place to do this with like-minded believers. Right. And it's not based on your performance. You're yeah. not going to to get a grade. You're not going to have a pay increase if you do your job well or don't do it well. You're just doing it as unto the Lord. You're yeah. serving Him, but we're a body, and every part of the body is necessary for the body to work, and when everybody does their little part, the body functions well and then can be the hands and feet of Jesus locally and globally. Mm, I love that so much, and I like that you have this emphasis on being the church, and Moments of Hope Church is all about that and making an impact in our community. Well, that's our motto. Be the church, just go. You know, be the church, just go. And Jesus said in Matthew 18, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church as we just go into the world. So 
Let's be the church, folks. Find your work and do your job. So good. Thank you so much, David. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today. If you would like to get a daily written Moment of Hope from me, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. From my heart to yours, every morning in your inbox at 7 a.m., a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moment of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to keep Christ at the center of Christmas this season. 